On this episode of The Third Wheel at Night, we celebrate 1,000 Days of Sobriety with Darcy. Stay tuned to listen to her story, and hopefully it encourages anyone who's struggling with the same things. Stay tuned. Smooth transition. Welcome to another episode of The Third Wheel Podcast. At night. <sighs> I'm Caleb. And I'm Darcy. And today is a very special episode of At Night. Why is that, Darcy? Do you have something you want to tell everybody? No. Nothing? Nothing at all? That sounds good. I like that. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for joining us this week. <laughs> all right. If you won't say it's, it, I'll say it. It's a couple days. No, 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 no. Okay, please. Okay. Go, <laughs> go okay. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, it is a couple days past, but a few days ago, I hit my benchmark of a thousand days sober. What? You hear that, everyone? Look at that. <laughs> 1,000 days of sobriety. Congratulations. <laughs> I am so proud of you. Please, everyone, leave your love and support in the comments. Hit that like button. Maybe subscribe. <laughs> Think about it. But, Darcy, tell me, let's start from the beginnings. I know at some point you were very interested in talking a little bit about what you had going on leading up to now. Uh, you've expressed interest in that in our main series when you hopped on for three episodes. Mm -hmm. And then we also kind of brought it up, I think, episode one. Maybe. So, uh, I, you know, I listen to the show a lot. So, you know, call me a narcissist. Call me blessed to be naive. Whatever you want to say. Okay. But, yeah, we, we've, we've touched on it. So I think it's only fair that to celebrate your sobriety, I think it's good to dive into um, what that means for you. Maybe go back into, like, what... what where you were, what you might have been into, if you're whatever you're comfortable with. You've been a pretty open book this whole time, so I don't see you straying away from <laughs> Yeah, I hide nothing. <laughs> it's so. actually kind of a little bit of a problem because somebody's like, hi, my name's so-and-so. What's your name? Yeah. And I'm like, my name's Darcy, and I used to do hardcore drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, traumatized. <laughs> I think it's only fair that we add a safe word in case I ask you a question you don't like. So. In order to get the good I, use I really out of this see button, that happening, but oh, <laughs> in order to get full usage out of this button, button, would you quit spoiling this for our audience? <laughs> All right, if I ask you a question that's off color, you can hit this button at any time. <laughs> Again, the button is. All right, if at any time you're uncomfortable with it, feel free to hit that button. Mm, thank you. All right, I got you covered. Yeah. But, all right, should we do this interview style, or do you think you'd be better off just, like, going down from the beginning? That I think, way uh, I can still talk. I think, <laughs> I think interview style could be fun. It kind of depends on where you want to start it from. I had planned on writing down questions, but I ended up forgetting. So, okay. sorry, audience, we're going to have to do this uh, horribly, horrible interview style. But I'm very happy for what this interview may have in store for us. All right, Darcy, let's do this. First off, can we start off with, let's lay down the foundation. What were you doing? How many years ago was it now? A thousand days. How many years is that? It's just over two and a half years, I think. It's like two years, eight months. Let me check out my app right here. Two years, eight months, 30 days. So right now I'm at 1,002. So I guess it'd be two years, eight months, 28 days. 1,002 days sober. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So what were you on that you were kind of hooked on? Um, Whenever, I mean, I did a lot of drugs in my childhood, but to me that's kind of like a bit of a separate yeah, interaction. I'll, I'll, I'll ask that question too. Right. But what, what were you on 1,002 days ago? Coke, okay. Adderall, mm -hmm. an extreme amount of alcohol. Okay. Um, Are all of those addictive? 
just full on like have this stuff in it. Coke's not addictive at all. I, no. Okay, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to lay it out because there's a level of, uh, I guess we're trying to raise awareness in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I need, you know, the question is, is like, is very much so. Can you hop off Adderall with no problem? Adderall is considered low dose methamphetamines. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so, so no, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, like if you're hooked on Adderall, like you might as well be hooked on meth. Mm-hmm. Like there's like one singular chemical like that's in meth that's not in Adderall Mm -hmm. and that's the only thing that really makes it different Mm -hmm. so and they're both used like um a lot of people don't know that meth actually used to be a prescription for Mm -hmm. ADHD Mm -hmm. anxiety stuff like just like Adderall is yeah um and so they took that like one chemical out of it and they're like now it's Adderall now it's fine you know and it's not (laughs) right right okay so let's go back now so that that's what you were on 1002 days ago Right. Mm-hmm. But what are you, what got you started on drugs? You say you've been taking them since childhood. So what, what kind of got you into that in the first place? Curiosity, I guess. Okay. With your friends, with mm-hmm. your, uh, God forbid, I, I know the answer to this, but just in case, not, not family, nothing like that. Right. So what, what got you curious? And then at what age? So I was, I was really young. Um, I mean, I was messing around with just, curiosity since i was 10 i mean Mm -hmm. that's whenever i started getting into porn and stuff like that i have older parents so they didn't quite understand the internet yet because it was still a semi-new thing even as i was growing up what's the age difference between you and your parents again my parents had me when they were almost 40 yeah okay so they're they're way behind on Mm -hmm. technology so anyway continue and so i've always just kind of had that curious brain where Mm -hmm. you know i just wanted to see things or figure stuff out or mm-hmm. try new things and then i had a neighbor that lived down the street from me and the first drug i took i actually didn't smoke weed until i was 16 fun fact that's kind of impressive um, given the rest of the what you're about to tell me <laughs> so it was pretty shortly after i was 13 i could have even potentially been 12 but i'm pretty sure i was 13 and my friend told me about this drug it's called triple c's and it stands for cough, cold, and congestion medicine. And so we walked down the street to the gas station and stole a bunch of them. This was before mm. they had them locked up behind the casing. Mm. So they um, still sell this? They do, but they have it locked up behind cases okay. now, and you have to be 18 to buy them, okay. I think. Yeah. Just uh, really take note of, like, the changes that stories have made over the, yeah. the years. So just, you know, keep that in mind, too. Go ahead. Right. So we got triple Cs, and you have to take, like, 10 to get high right mm. so we got like three boxes of them Jeez. Jeez. Um, and so we take like 10 of them and basically the way triple c's get you high is it makes your brain swell and that's what causes you to start tripping and hallucinating and what have you so it's like it's one of the bad bad ones <laughs> to be mm. doing you know i mean i guess all of them kind of are in their own way but that one especially like you know and so that was my first time taking drugs. I remember we were sitting around her house waiting for it to kick in, and it just wasn't. And so after like 45 minutes, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go home. It's probably like 11 o'clock at night, something like that. So I'm walking down the street, and as I get halfway down the street to my house, I'm just walking down the middle of my street. You've seen it before. It's not like a super busy street or Oh, anything. same house. Yeah, no same way. house. Okay, didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, we've... I forget you're not you're not that old, right? So, and your parents have been there forever, so we've been there since I was like five. Okay, <clears throat> and so all of a sudden everything just hit all at once, and I just felt 
in the middle of the street and mm-hmm. I couldn't get back up and I had to crawl on my hands and knees. No way. Nobody saw you and tried to help you, take advantage of you, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. You just made it. Okay. I mean, it was like three houses from okay. my parents' That's house. That's a long way to crawl though. Yeah. For someone who's all messed up on all right. that kind of stuff. On the three C's. Right. So. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, that was my first time doing drugs. I had done triple C's a couple more times mm. and just kind of messed around with whatever came across. Yeah, like I said, funny enough, I was 16 the first time I smoked weed. And everybody was like, nobody knew because they saw like just different other types of drugs I was doing, whether it be from pills or what have you, shrooms. You did all that before weed? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why when people are like, weed's a gateway drug. Like, I, I, I know it, like, kind of <laughs> is in a way. You didn't, t- you didn't need a yeah, gateway. Yeah. You're like, F this gate. Yeah. <laughs> Just jump. Yeah. <laughs> Pull vault over it. <laughs> Where are them shrooms at? <laughs> and so uh, I, I remember my first time smoking weed, too, and everybody had seen, you know, I was drinking lean. Mm-hmm. I was, like, all of that stuff. So nobody thought to ask if I had smoked weed before. And they're hitting it out of a bong, and we do yeah, like, and that's like the strongest way yeah. to do it too. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, side note: when I started, I, I started from the beginning, like you know, the joint. Oh, this is terrible! It was like the worst weed ever, and mm-hmm. I, I worked my way up to that stuff. So right out the gate, you were like, bong ripping. Yeah, pa- pass it over here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I took like seven or eight bong rips, right? Tell me, tell me about that, because that's a funny story, too. And so I, was, <laughs> I mean, a tragic story. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and everybody's just passing it, you know, like, nonchalantly. And I look at all my friends, and I was like, so how long until this, like, kicks in? And and they look at me, because I'm used to other drugs where it takes, like, 30, 45 yeah. an hour. And they look at me, and they go, huh? <laughs> and I was like, how long until this kicks in? And they're like, have you not smoked weed before? And I was like, no. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, sh- like <laughs> they're like, dude, you just smoked a lot of weed, and it was yeah. strong yeah. stuff too. Like, yeah, it wasn't like I don't know. This is hard to talk about without saying cuss words. Well, we it wasn't get... little baby weed. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> see, you can do it. <laughs> you got this. Took me a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The um, other B word, bud. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we're just sitting there. I moved from the chair to the floor because I was like, I'm not feeling good at all. And so mm. the guy I was talking to at the time, I was looking at him and I was like, I need you to catch my head. And he goes, huh? <laughs> I was like, I need you to catch my head. He was like, what the? And I just passed out. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you know, like yeah. he's like dropping his stuff, like trying to catch my head. And they had to like move me into the couch. I ended up like falling off the couch somehow. Mm. Like I was not okay. I was zonked for like four or five hours Mm. and normally like you're completely not high anymore after like four hours at least Mm. for me whenever i was like actually smoking it took me like two hours until i didn't really feel it anymore Mm. but this at this time it was like five or six hours i was just like gone and oh god it was horrible Mm. (laughs) yeah that's a lot of weed (laughs) yeah it was yeah so tell me about your relationship with your parents then did that cause a strain at what point did drugs start affecting how you interacted with family? That's a big deal. I don't know. Or I mean, things with parents have always been tense, though, right? Yeah, it was weird because I don't know. It's hard. I don't remember a lot of my childhood. 
I know I was a happy kid growing up. My parents said I was super well behaved. They like were like, yeah, we didn't even have to spank you. Like, you know, you were just such a good kid and just always happy go lucky. Just that's as a kid. Yeah. About the teenage years. It just switched suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you don't think it was drug related? No. Okay. Because it started before then. I think there was like demonic stuff going on with me, mm-hmm. um, whether it be just the stuff I was looking at online mm-hmm. that, you know, caused me to start having act outs or whether there was some trauma in my brain. I still don't remember because I, you know, every therapist I talk to is like, oh, you got you experienced extreme trauma as a child. You know, like that that's the only impressed. way. Yeah. They're like, that's the only way we can explain it. And I'm like, OK, well, I have everything else I'm, I remember. I'm sure it's not going to be that much worse than anything else. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, sure. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it was just legitimately the stuff I was exposing myself to online. Sure. Did your parents always not get along where there where there's a lot of loud fights going on anything like that coming okay no my dad was gone when i was a kid he was stationed in uh north or south korea okay for like a year and so i didn't have my dad when i was like four Hmm. but like i don't i don't know if that played into any part of it but i've I've heard things can affect you from since you were like in the womb yeah you know yeah aside from my dad being absent from a year i don't nothing really sticks out to me okay my brother was you know my brother's 11 years older than me he was being a normal amount of a troubled teen okay but that's really about it when things started getting bad with your parents what what did that look like for you behavior acting out all that type of stuff So my parents initially, it's really weird because they were really like together Mm -hmm. for my brother, where if my dad, you know, like initiated discipline, my mom followed through on it. Whereas then it just kind of switched up for me where my dad would like take my phone, but my mom would give it right back or, you know, what have you. And so I just started manipulating and playing into that on my mom's side to get out of trouble, whether it be, you know, like crying because, you know, making up some weird scenario. And like, I would just guilt trip her into like giving me my things back or what have you. Mm. And so that caused a lot of strife between my parents. My dad didn't know how to handle me because I was acting out. I was um, just throwing temper tantrums as like a 13 year old where he'd have to like fully restrain me Mm. um, because I was like throwing things and yelling and screaming. And this was before I tried drugs. And so once I started doing drugs, I don't really notice much of a difference because I was already yeah behaving pretty poorly before that okay were you on drugs when they put you in the program like was i high going in or yeah. what or not maybe not high <laughs> in the moment going in, but like were you on stuff when you when they put you into that program yeah so i was smoking a ton of weed okay um everything else was pretty occasional it wasn't like this last time around it was like i did xanax i drank clean i did shrooms i did that kind of stuff but i wasn't like necessarily addicted or on it mm-hmm. it was just like i mostly did it at parties yeah and so you, they put you into the program totally based on behavioral issues i guess behavior you're and at the drugs house yeah. and everything okay mm-hmm. okay do you are you comfortable talking about that program mm-hmm. and then uh, okay so do you mind me asking what program it was then so I went to Adult and Teen Challenge of Oklahoma. I okay. went to the Adolescent Center when I was 17. And no way, I got, Oklahoma. Yeah. That's Why do you fun. think I hate Oklahoma? No way. <laughs> okay. No wonder we can't go to Winstar ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually down the street from one of the other programs. That no went way. To. Mm-hmm. Okay. I went, uh, so the Adolescent Center is in Disney, Oklahoma, which has a population of like 400. Mm, and tiny. it's in the like north, northeast corner. Right on the edge of like Kansas and all that. Okay. So 
All right. So um, tell me about that, what that was like. Let's go into that a bit. So the adolescent center when I first got in wasn't horrible. I mean, obviously it was really traumatic because I didn't find I was going until like the day of and my parents didn't tell me how long I was going to be there. No way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So how did they kind of trick you into getting over there? So um, it was Easter. And yeah, that's too bad. So we got home. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> got to lighten the tension here. It's about to get really sad, guys. <laughs> so I get home from church and all of a sudden, you know, my mom and dad are like, Darcy, come out here. And my <laughs> pastor God. is sitting in my dad's seat in our living room. And I'll, I've never seen him at our house. And so immediately I was like, oh, this is an intervention, you know. <laughs> and then my brother Brian's there. And they dropped the news about the program and they were talking about Easter and how it's a time of, you know, like new life and resurrection of, you know, whatever. And I was just kind of like, okay. And so my parents knew I was a run risk. I was actually going to grab my things to run. And then they didn't have, um, so my brother has three kids and I, oh my God, I'm crazy about them. I love them so much. Yeah, um, pictures of them all over the place. Mm-hmm, I do. <laughs> and so my, my brother's wife, Melanie, and his three kids weren't there. And so my parents were like, Melanie and the kids are on their way. If you run away, we won't let the let you say bye to them. Mm. So you have to stay and not run away in order to be able to say goodbye. No, they guilt guilt tripped you pretty Mm -hmm. good. That worked. All right. It did. This is a good bargaining chip for me to learn. So (laughs) keep in mind, I didn't know how long the program was. So initially, I was actually kind of excited. Oh, Um, okay. I've been to a couple mental hospitals where I spent like two weeks there, and I'd beg them not to send me home because I actually enjoyed the treatment. I enjoyed trying to get better. Um, But two weeks was never long enough. You know what I mean? What did you like about those sidebar? It was just so, like, not, I don't know, like, it felt safe. You had so many people to relate to. You had, you know, I don't know, it was just so, like, easy. The staff was good there, too? Mm-hmm. None of them were kind of corrupt or anything? I mean, some of them had, like, an attitude, but that was really as bad as it got. But there was some staff members that were just so kind and sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved my little grippy sock vacay. <laughs> did, did they give you anything to like ease you off drugs or anything? Did they give you stuff like that? Or did they pump you with drugs? Mm, no, not that I remember. I mean, if you're, I, I, I wasn't on anything like heroin to where I die if I, you know what I mean? And okay. so, like I said, the only drug I was really like consecutively doing was smoking weed. Okay. So no, they weren't going to give me anything for that. Let me think. Another question. What was the living situation like there at a mental hospital? Just real quick. Uh, it, was pretty, it was pretty chill. You had everybody crime in one room. It depended if it was co-ed or not. Sometimes they were co-ed. No way. Okay. Um, and the not main, the beds though, right? No, not the beds. Okay, the, main, <laughs> the main living space quarters, like the living room. Okay. Like you could be co-ed and intermingled and stuff like that, which was super chill. And then the bedrooms were on opposite hallways Hmm. um and of course there's always a staff awake so you're not crisscrossing rooms and stuff i just feel like we missed something so why why would you go there every now and then initially when was the first time i went and i was extremely suicidal as a kid that was another thing um i had tried to take my life a couple times Mm -hmm. i was really big into self-harm um i still have some pretty like large scars let's back up now (laughs) 
Sorry, audience. Uh, This might have to be a part one. Yeah, about to say. So, what got you? What got you into that? What What was the struggle going up into that? What feeds into those? I just started doing it. I don't know. I I think maybe somebody else had done it, and I saw, and so I started doing it myself because I also had an eating disorder at the time that a friend I was talking to had, and she taught me how she like hides her food and gets away with it, and like has a full portion dinner, but like scrapes half of it into her napkin to throw away, and then says she's full, or eats a couple bites and then goes and throws it up, and you know different Mm. things like that. And then, um, why did you feel like you had to start doing that? I don't know. I think I just hated myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, I, like that demonic oppression I was talking about from a kid. Like, I mean, it was, in, it was insane. I was so suicidal, mm-hmm. so much so. Um, did your parents know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause there and was a couple of times, the- there was a couple of times that, well, there was one time my mom and I actually got in an argument and I tried to jump out of the car, mm. um, on the highway. She had to catch me by my ponytail yank me in the car and then um she started talking about sending me to a mental hospital or no she sent my brother in to like hide the knives and stuff and so i started going off and i was like if i want to you know unalive myself i'll i'll go jump in the pool i'll drown myself i'll go swallow the rocks in the front yard like you really think you can stop me if i want to do it i'm gonna do it and so they took me to a mental hospital and that was the first time i went the second time i went was after my best friend friend unalived herself no it was a month after my best friend unalived herself because me and my mom got into an argument and she threatened to take her life if i didn't tell her what was wrong with me and what was going on called the cops your mom said that mm-hmm. oh that's messed up yeah we both got handcuffed in our driveway and they had to bring two separate cop cars because <laughs> we kept screaming at each other in the driveway so they had to take us in separate vehicles <laughs> to drive us to your a mental hospital like what the f- yeah <laughs> Yeah, and uh, sorry, we're laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, of course, my mom got released because she, you know, played it as if I was the one being suicidal, and they see the self harm scars on my arm. So, Mm -hmm. of course, they they actually were going to release me too, but I refused to go home Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to see my mom. And so the doctor was sitting there, and if you say, I'm just going to give a trigger warning because. So if you say, I'm going to myself, like they have to admit you legally. They are not allowed to send you home at all. And I knew that. And so we're sitting there and I'm telling them, like, I want to get admitted. You know, I don't want to go home with my mom. Um, I'm mad at her right now. And they're like, no, no, like, you're fine. You're fine. And so I'm sitting across from the doctor and I, my parents are sitting there getting ready to take my home. And I go, okay, I want to myself and like literally as robotic and monotone as I could and the doctor like just kind of set his pen down on the table and looked at my parents my dad was like she she doesn't mean it and he goes I know but legally I am forced to or I I said if you send me home I will myself and so he was like legally I have to admit her now and my parents were like oh (laughs) and then then Last time I went to a psychiatric ward was after my car accident. Mm. Um, I got in a really severe car accident. I was a driver. Passenger grabbed my wheel. There was like five of us, but it was in a three-seater truck. So there were people laying in the back and people flew out of the trucks, stuff like that. People flew through the windshield. And my best friend Derek was, they didn't know if he was going to walk again or not. 
And I told my parents, and I was like, if he's paralyzed, I need to find out about it in a safe space. I I can't find out about that while I'm home because right. I'm afraid I'll do something. And mm. so they were understanding, and so they let me go. And then a couple days later, found out he was paralyzed um, permanently. And so I think that was the last time I went to a mental hospital. And then they eventually did outpatient with me. And so when my parents talked about sending me a program, I was thinking some like three month long mental hospital visit pretty much. So I was actually pretty excited. I was like, cool, like I'm going to get the help I need, the help I want, da, da, da. And they drop me off at the front door and I go in and the lady's like, do you know how long the program is? I was like, no, is it like four weeks, some three months? And she just kind of looked at me big eyed and was like, this program's 12 to 15 months, Mm. depending on behavior. And I I just sat there and I was like, what the, f-? like, yeah. oh my God. How upset? So you're upset. Oh yeah. 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 That's Livid. so unnecessarily long. Oh yeah. A year plus. Right. As a 17 year old, like that's so unnecessary. There were so many places they could have taken me. Six months. I got six months. Fine. A year plus. Yeah. <laughs> really? How long were you there? <laughs> like 30 months. Oh my God. <laughs> well, let's build up to that. Um, so tell me about. Tell me about the teen challenge. Tell me about what it was like there. Um, what living arrangements, the type of people there, types of treatment. I know it's a whole can of worms, but we still got half an hour. So, okay. <laughs> so, God, I could spend six hours on this. There were between 20 to 30 girls at a time. Okay. You lived together and you had multiple bedrooms with, I think, two bunks in each room. So, four girls per room. Um, and a shared bathroom per room. And so you live together, eat together, you know, not like sleep together. I don't know. Depending on how crazy you wanted to get, I guess. But, you know, like sleep in the same room. Happen. It did. <laughs> and so then there was the, the living house. And then like a couple feet away from that, we had a gymnasium where we did our school, our sports, our food, our activities, what have you. And so we had to do online school. I had dropped out of high school whenever I was in ninth grade because of how like suicidal and recklessly living I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect to live past 18, so I didn't want to waste my time in high school because I was like, I want to live the life I want to live before I die because it's going to happen any minute now with how I'm living. Like was I that, did not care. Was that a self-diagnosis or were people telling you that? self I mean, yeah. I was living recklessly. Yeah. The, I was at parties wreck. that were getting shot up. I was yeah. doing any type of... I wouldn't even... People would offer me drugs. I wouldn't even ask what it was. I would just take it. Mm. Like, half of the stuff I've done, I don't even know what it's called because I didn't ask questions. They're mm. just like, you want drugs? And I was like, yeah, give it. And they're like, you're not going to... I was like, nah, mm. yeah, just give it to me. Because mm. with how suicidal I was, after my best friend had unalived herself, I couldn't, like... In quote, you know, like have the guts to do it myself after I saw the destruction that was caused. Mm-hmm. And so I just couldn't bring myself to that point anymore after I saw what happened with her, her family, her friends, the funeral, just all of that. Just so you, the, you're talking about how it hurts everybody else. Yeah. And so I was like, I, I can't, you know, and so I was like, but <laughs> if I do whatever I want and it kills me, different, different story. story. <laughs> yeah. And so pretty much I was trying to unalive myself without actually being the one to you know Mm. put the noose around my neck per se Mm -hmm. where was i talking about living arrangements at teen yeah so okay dropped out of ninth grade so i'm 17 and they 
put me back in ninth grade because that was the grade I was in. And I was mm. like, I was getting my, I was trying to get my GED before the program. So I was like, can I just take the GED test? They kept telling me, no, 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 no. You have to be in this. You have to be in that. Eventually I protested <laughs> and I didn't do school at all. And so they keep track of your percentage, like how much you've increased and you're required to do like 12% a week. Mm. It looks good on them. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're saying, no, I'm not going to do it at all, it's looking bad on them. Yeah. So I didn't do school for a while before they noticed. I don't know how <laughs> because like it was monitored weekly. I was going to say, there's only 30 of you. It's not like there's right. a, a thousand people. Well, there was even one. two teachers. So like 15 of us per teacher. Um, and so, yeah, it just went unnoticed somehow. And so like a month and a half later, the teacher calls me up and it's like, Darcy, tell me why you've only progressed by 11%. And I was like, well, we're only supposed to do 12% a week. I like, I'm not that far behind. And she goes, no, I mean, in the last two months. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, she was only there 30 months, guys. That's a long time to not notice anything. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's like two and a half years. My God. (laughs) (laughs) No, two months. Yeah, I, I, I know. Oh, but okay, I mean, like okay. out of all 30 months, yeah. like, dang, they really took their time noticing that. <laughs> and, so, so. and so I was like, ooh, and they called the pastor over, and um, I was able to convince him to put me in a GED course because I was like, I'm about to be 18. I'm still in ninth grade. Like, yeah. I mean, I get my GED when I get out of here, so I'm not going to waste my time with doing this. Like, yeah. it's, it's worthless for me. So I was able to convince them to let me get my GED. How many pastors were there? There was one head pastor. Just one. Yeah. And a bunch of like mini, mini boss pastors. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. Staff members. Sure. Is what we call them. Okay. So yeah, you had staff members that were on duty. Um, they handed out, if kids were misbehaving, they handed out disciplines. The way disciplines worked were um, you had like a character quality with the definition and two verses. Mm. And you would have to write that like 50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. Um, and so that would be what we called CQs. There's so much that goes into the program. I don't even well, know what to talk about. What kind of treatments were there? So it, we got education. There was no type learning. of treatment. Nothing? Nothing. They didn't drug nobody up. They no. didn't prescribe anything. No. Okay. So what, no therapy, so, no counseling. So what were they doing? Praying for you. Okay. <laughs> and further traumatizing you. Sure. So talk about further trauma. What are we, what are we looking at here? So actually, this brings up a good question. Traumatizing. She, Darcy, we're both Christian. We both believe in the spiritual gifts. I'm surprised, though, that Darcy still believes in them after some of the stuff that I've heard at this program. So tell me about praying in tongues there. Oh, God. So an easy way to describe this program is it is very much a cult. Okay. Like, fits every definition of a cult. Very much so. Sure. So... (laughs) they were a Christian program and they advertised that you didn't have to be a Christian to graduate. Right. Cool. Well, in order to level, you had a leveling system. So you came in at entry and then there was levels one through five. Once you finished level five, you got to leave. So in order to level up, first of all, a certain amount of time had to pass. So from entry to level one, it was six weeks until you could qualify. And then you had to like memorize two chapters of the Bible, like chapters and recite it. Jesus wept. <laughs> I'm free to go, coach. <laughs> you can let me go now. <laughs> well, they assigned it to you. You didn't get to pick Aww, your chapters Psalm either. Psalm 119. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, right, and, and so 
then there was other stuff where it was like leveling up to three, you had to show spiritual leadership, spiritual guidance, spiritual, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, but well, you said we don't have to be Christian. So how are you going to show spiritual leadership as someone that's not a Christian? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's just forcing somebody to fake Christianity at that point, you know? And we did. Like we were trying to do whatever we could to get out of there. Um, even whenever I was like being the fakest I could be, the most perfect version of a child of Jesus you can think to be, like mm. I still was just on a normal track mm-hmm. um, to graduate within 12 months. And so um, speaking in tongues, um, they said, what was it? They're saying that if you're saved that you have to, or you have to speak in tongues to be saved was what it was. And they would like pressure all of us and pray over us. And like, they wouldn't stop praying until you spoke in tongues. So like they would stand there and pray for kids for like two hours sometimes. And so, you know, eventually you just sit there and you're like, you know, (laughs) and then they're like, she's saved. (laughs) (laughs) My God. (laughs) And I don't know, just the the trauma, the resentment, mm-hmm. the anger towards God that can form from this yeah. is just insane to me. Well, and like, so one of the main things staff always yelled at me about was that I was attention seeking. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm a 17 year old girl that's traumatized and has messed up issues. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I wanted attention. I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, if I'm attention, maybe give me attention. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason I'm doing that. It's because I'm not receiving it. You might have to go back into this program until we get it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. We weren't allowed to touch. So we had this. Touch what? Any, any, anyone, anything at all. We, we had zero physical contact the whole time we were in there. Okay. So I don't know if you know how traumatizing that is just to not have physical contact, but that's pretty rough. They didn't stop them, right? <laughs> yeah. From having physical contact yeah. with y'all. Yeah, we did have some staff members sleeping with students. The pastor ended up sleeping with a student. The pastor mm-hmm. was like grooming five of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I didn't know he was grooming me until looking back at it. I was like, I even called him dad because like we were that close. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I literally saw him as a father figure and then I looked back. And so nothing seemed weird to me because he was like my dad to me, you know, like the if he tickled me, I wasn't like, ooh, this pet, like, I don't know. If my dad tickled me, I wouldn't find it weird. I don't know. Okay. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I mean, that's how it works. You right. just don't see it coming. Right. You so. know, and so looking back whenever he'd like tickle me or, you know, like I'd be playing with his kids and he'd jump in and start playing with me um, with the stupid, like, um, what was it? The pool noodles wrapped in duct tape for like Nerf swords, like oh, a makeshift okay. Nerf, Nerf sword. All like right. he'd jump in and just start like, you know, hmm. playing too. And like looking back, it's like, oh, he was, you know, like he hit my butt with it a couple times. He, you know, tickled me. He had me living with him at one point. And, you know, it's like all the things that didn't seem weird in the moment mm-hmm. that I just look back. I'm like, oh, my God, I was next. Like, mm-hmm. holy crap. Yeah. No way. So how did you end up graduating? So I ended up having my program extended and I ended up graduating the adolescent center at 16 months. Hang on, let me. Oh man, that's only halfway through. Let me do some math. Here's a good stopping point. 
This episode is sponsored by 151 Coffee. Okay. Oh, I was in the program. <laughs> I was in the program for 31 months. You know, finish my ad. Sorry. <laughs> Continue. So I was in the Adolescent Center for 16 months by the time I graduated. And then I wanted to um, start an internship where um, I got to work there. I think a lot of that was like fear-based that if I went home, I was just going to do the same mm-hmm. stuff that I went in with. Um, and so, which ended up happening, right? Not immediately. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I went into the internship and I was an intern for six months, which I might as well have been in the program. I mean, it was a lot of the same rules. It was a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the Mm. same treatment from staff. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was pretty much just being in the program, but living in a separate headquarters from the girls. <laughs> Instead, I got to live with my pedo pastor. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then after about six months of being an intern, one of the things, so girls and guys were kept separately, um, but like we used the same school and gym. And so if the guys were in the gym and we had to like go to the other side, everyone had to turn and face the wall and press like noses to the wall, hands on both sides of your eyes and like shimmy across so that nobody was looking at each other. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Try that in a jail or a prison. Right. Let's see if that works. Yeah. I, I, I wish in the prison I worked at we did that, but they don't house them at the same facility. Yeah. Anyway. So we're not allowed to look at, talk about, talk to the boys. Mm. Not even allowed to talk about boys, like at all. So if they caught you doing that, what'd they do? Normally it was just like CQs. Like I was talking about the sentences, Mm -hmm. disciplines. Um, but every now and then, depending on the severity, they gave you D level. D level stands for disciplinary level. And for as long as you're on D level, it's not count. Yeah. That time doesn't count towards your program time. So if you're on D level for a month, that whole month meant nothing, which was generally about how long you're on D level, sometimes longer. And you had to wear a blue t-shirt and these like thin khaki pants. You weren't allowed to have jackets. You weren't allowed to have deodorant. You weren't allowed to have perfume, lotion, like everything was considered like extra. You weren't allowed to have salt and pepper. And uh, it used to be just kind of semi-normal. But then when the new pastor came in, um, which was about three months into my program, he changed it up. And made it so that D-Level had a special diet. Mm. So they got um, just plain oatmeal for breakfast. And then for lunch and dinner, like a peanut butter sandwich. No jelly. No jelly. (laughs) No jelly. And that's all you got to eat for 30 days. Mm. I lost 15 pounds. Goodness. So, yeah, they were starving us. No way. That's crazy. Yeah. I was waiting for you to pair the oatmeal with something, but nope, just plain old. Yep, no, nope. n- no protein oatmeal. Mm-mm. Okay, so you graduate. We're running out of time. So I know we could do a teen challenge for twenty mm-hmm. hours, but uh, I think I might have missed it. Okay, but so you, I graduate. I I had just finished my time. Okay, I leveled up the way I was supposed to. Um, so I graduated. I interned. Thirty-one and then, months, right? Um, at this point, so I graduated after 16, I interned for six months. Mm. So we're at like what, 22 so Mm. far. And then that boys thing I was talking about ended up, um, flirting with one of the boys on the other side of the program. 
And since I was 18 and since I was an intern, they considered me a staff member, even though I wasn't. And at one point, he had went on a break with his parents. He got his mom's phone, texted me. I sent him a picture. It wasn't anything crazy. I was in brown underwear. It wasn't anything different. You'd see going into the mall and seeing Victoria's Secret. You know what I mean? Mm. So it wasn't anything crazy. But they started um, – I it came out like a couple months later. I got caught. So the pastor started saying they could charge me as a sex offender because I'm 18, because I'm a staff member. I was like, dude, he's like two years younger than me. Like, what? And they're like, but you're a staff member and just going so hard in the paint on me. Talking about you could be in prison for 15 years for this. We're court ordering you to the woman's program. So I got sent to the woman's program. And I was in the woman's program for nine months. And um, the only reason I was only in for nine months was because I figured out that the pastor lied to me about being court ordered the entire mm. time. And once I found out, I left. Mm. So okay, so thirty-one months. Never even graduated. <laughs> nope. Got promoted to freedom. Yeah, because once you're eighteen, you can leave okay. willingly unless you're court ordered. And you weren't. And I wasn't, but I thought I was the whole time. Sure. The pastor told me I was. You were sober how long from then till later? Um, I got out a month later. I met a boy. His name was Isaiah. Um, shout out to episode two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I was really just being a normal 19, 20 year old. Um, drank a couple times. I probably drank like six times where I got drunk in the span of like nine months and smoked weed like twice. Three years before you met the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> me. But let's get, we'll, we'll build up to that story. Okay. Crazy, crazy time. Let's see. When you were 19, I was, what was that, six years ago, right? You're 24? Five years ago? What was I doing five years ago? I think I was at the, I might have just started at the jail. But anyway, it's about you. Okay. So what got you back into the stuff that you got into before I met you? So I dated Isaiah for nine months, um, and that was so healthy. So such a good relationship really built my character, mm. especially built my hands for fighting grown men. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> my favorite. Um. Yeah. No. That it was. It was horrible. He was cheating on me. Um. He he cheated on me. Told me it was a one time thing, and then come to find out. So he passed away. Come to find out at his funeral that he was dating her at the same time as me for the previous, like, three, four months. Mm. And so I'm standing there. I'm like, hi, I'm Isaiah's girlfriend. We've been dating for nine months. And she's like, I'm Isaiah's girlfriend. We've been dating three or four months. And I was like, oh, oh, mm. oh okay. Um, this is the same girl he had me fist fight, by oh. the way. Yeah. Okay. Were you all friends after that? We We – Decided to be cordial at the funeral, which was like two weeks after we fist fought. She knew, right? She knew y'all were together. He was doing the same thing to her. He was to me. I mean, I really can't blame her for any of it. I'm just curious to see where your head's at on Um, that. I mean, she knew about me, but she thought that he was crazy for her and I was... She thought the situation was flip-flopped. Like what I thought of her, she thought of me, pretty much. She was playing both of us. I got you. At least as far as I'm aware. I was curious to know what she thought. Yeah. Because I don't know how I'd feel. I'm not judging or anything. We were literally both still bruised up from our fight at his funeral. 
no, we we ended up deciding to be cordial, and we were like, "Listen, cool. it was a stupid fight. I'm really sorry." And she okay. was like, "I'm sorry too." And so we're we're fine. We weren't like close friends, obviously. I mean, you can't really be after that. Were you back on drugs at this point? I was smoking weed okay. and drinking. Okay. Well, go- um, now, were you, without mentioning the restaurant's name, is that where you got back on cocaine? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, was there a build up to that? So a couple months after Isaiah passed away, his uncle was grooming me for a couple months. And um, he said this was after Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Okay. After he died. Okay. You know, this guy was Isaiah's family was so horrible to me and stuff like that. So his uncle comes in and it's like, I'm on your side. Mm. You can trust me with anything and everything, you know. <laughs> so mm. I was like, oh, this, you know. This is a good man, and he used to be a pastor, and he led this, like, reformation program. He, like, shook hands with the president and was, like, the face of this big, like, innocent Which project. President? Trump? No way. That's a... Hmm. Okay. That's Trump president? Yeah. Yeah. It was Trump. He, no, he had to have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no way. And so, um, yeah, and so he had pretty gruesomely assaulted me, mm. and after that, I just felt so, like wrecked like the one person that was on my side took advantage of me and this was like i've had people taking advantage of me my whole life i had that pastor in the program that was trying to take advantage of me at least to my knowledge and what it looks like you know and then just to come out and have the same stuff happening like i just started to hate myself all over again i didn't know how to deal with isaiah's death because whenever i got the phone call my first reaction was relief because i was like free from the relationship i very very much loved him and so the guilt of feeling relief, relief at the death of someone I'd love more than most, I think anyone else in my life, I was like, I'm a horrible person. Like who would feel relieved that someone died, you know? And so after that, um, I was in the restaurant and I just went party mode all over again. I mean, I had zero limits, zero boundaries. I was just like all over the place and so that's when I really started some heavy drinking I was drinking about a bottle of liquor a day and it was always out and so I had to drive home so I was doing coke to sober me up because that's you feel not as drunk if you do coke and so then I could know that mm -hmm, yeah consider pairing it with a bottle of Captain Morgan's (laughs) rum you won't feel it as much (laughs) Really brings up. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would drive home and then I'd get two hours of sleep before going to a restaurant in the morning and I'd take my Adderall, pair it with like seven shots of espresso, which is like a big no-no. Espresso and Adderall or caffeine and Adderall are not supposed to be mixed, much less seven shots of espresso. God dang. You wouldn't think that would be a bad pairing of all the other stuff you could pair it with. Coffee? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, because Adderall gets... Don't drink that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my my espresso sitting here. <laughs> Popped some of that Adderall this morning, you know? <laughs> That's why I'm so happy today. I am kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was, and I was doing that for about nine or ten months. It was a really long time, honestly, yeah. to be doing that, like, nightly. Okay. And, Yeah. You're on cocaine as well, too. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Okay. What, what what finally changed for you to where you were finally ready to get off of it? I wanted to stop for at least like nine months. I mean. Um, well, how do you go about stopping? What does that even look like? Where do you begin? Well, that was the problem. 
<laughs> you know, because so I was making about 10 grand a month at this restaurant. And for me, all I have a G is a GED. I have no, you know, other experience. So it's like, okay, if I leave here, my only other option is to go to another restaurant and all restaurants are, you know, drug infested. So I might as well stay at the place I'm at least making 10 grand a month at. And I went to church a couple times and it was at Gateway and I was telling one of the like leads, I was like, dude, I just, I can't stop. Like, I don't, I want to stop. I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to take it. But every single night I find myself making the same decision over and over and over again. And I always tell myself it's going to be different. I always tell myself I'll go out with my coworkers tonight, but I won't drink. I'll drink, but I won't do Coke. I'll, I'll do Coke, but I won't do Adderall in the morning. I'll do, you know, and it was like, okay, I just did Adderall. So I'm just going to go home tonight. And it never, <laughs> never changed. And so I was really frustrated. I was like, I just want to leave. And she was like, well, you know, if you just run away, you know, you're just going to find it somewhere else. You, you have to change your heart and you have to stop doing what you're doing. Cause if you leave, you're just going to find it wherever you go. Majority of the case, maybe that's some good advice, you know, yeah. a lot for a lot of people. I've heard a lot of people like run away from it and just pick it back up the next place right. they go. That was not the case for me. I just needed to leave. I couldn't break my pattern. I couldn't break my habits. Um, everybody only knew me as this person. And I couldn't just change myself in front of them, you know, especially because it wouldn't have been supported either from anybody. And so it was a long time of me being like, well, if I leave here, I'm just going to find it somewhere else. And in order to like survive, I needed a job that was $20 an hour minimum, minimum, because I was making 10 grand a month and my bills were set up for that. Mm. Now, obviously, I wasn't spending all ten grand of it on rent and everything, but, you know, like, I needed $20 an hour to afford everything I had. And name a job that, you know, a 21-year-old can get with zero job experience, zero high school that starts at that, you know? Right. It doesn't happen. So it was just a lot of buildup. I woke up so many days just wishing I could die. I mean, yeah, I just prayed for it. Um Anytime I had drugs, I was praying it was laced with some horrible thing that would just take me out, you know, like I just did not want to do it anymore. And of course, I've had such a bad experience with Christianity, whether it was from growing up, whether it was from Teen Challenge, that I obviously wasn't being very reliant on God. And so instead of praying that he'd kill me, I started praying that he'd save me. And I was like, I, I just, I need you to make, I, I need you to force me out of this situation. And, um, I was sitting in my car one day and that morning, the night before, same thing, drinking Coke Adderall in the morning. And so I'm sitting in my car on break and I'm just like, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm done. Um, F my apartment, F my car, F my credit score. You know, like, I just, I want to be happy. I want a relationship with my family. God, I want a relationship with you. I want to know, actually know you this time, not just be told what to know about you. I don't care if I'm under a bridge. Like, I just, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And so um, I walked in and I quit. Nothing to back me up. And I was like, all right, God, like, now's your time to shine, buddy, because <laughs> I'm about to lose everything to follow you. Um, and two weeks later, that's when I met Paul and around that same time you and so you were off for two weeks. You were off of drugs. How mm -hmm. did you maintain that for those two weeks? Because, like, 
I, I mean, I knew this wasn't the case, but I was kind of pictured you met us right after you did that. And, mm-hmm. that, and then we kind of helped you carry over to the next one. But how right. did you maintain that two weeks without doing anything? I was just that done with it. Mm-hmm. I stopped seeing the people I was working with. I just with, stayed home. Withdrawals? I actually didn't get any. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that is that common? No, <laughs> not at all. Okay. Like people will normally always withdraw from drugs and pretty hard off of those ones too. Mm-hmm. But no, I didn't, I didn't get any withdrawals. Because I feel like for a little bit after we had met, you were experiencing that. Am I crazy? I could have sworn you were I had like emotional withdrawals. Yeah. You know, where it was like, damn, like I'm, I have no energy. I need Adderall to clean my apartment. I still feel like I need Adderall sometimes. I'm like, man, this would fix so many things I need to do today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But, like, as far as the physical, like, I wasn't puking. I wasn't sweating, you know, my brains out, laying in bed in a puddle and, you know, jittery. No. Like, I mean, I was emotional. I was very emotional. It was really hard adjusting to a sober lifestyle that I'd never experienced outside of Teen Challenge um, since 13. How'd you meet Paul? Um, I had a friend. So I was struggling for money. And uh, I had a friend be like, hey... Um, God told me to buy your groceries for you this month. I was like, okay. Thank God, because I'm on my last pack of ramen. (laughs) (laughs) You never did that for me. (laughs) I know who you're talking about. I hate that guy now. (laughs) And so um, I was like, okay. And so he's supposed to take me grocery shopping. He's like, hey, actually, I I can't make it tonight, but um, I'm going to this Bible say, if you meet me there, I'll just give you the money and you can go grocery shopping yourself. And we're going out to dinner after. I'll buy you dinner, too. So I was like, okay. And I almost didn't go. Um, I was actually texting him to tell him my excuse on why I couldn't make it. Yeah. Um, and so as I'm texting it, I just start backing out and say, okay, I'm on my way. Because God was like, didn't you like quit your job to get closer to me? And da da da. You know, like, isn't that why we're doing this? And mm. I was like, oh. Um, the reason I was actually getting canceled was because a guy was going to come over that night because I was still talking to people, I guess. And so I was like, okay, you're right, God. I'll go. So I go. And Paul walks outside and, like, dude, just, like, the light of Jesus, like, just shined from him. Like, his face, his eye, like, his skin was, like, glowing. You know what I mean? And um, the second he walked outside, God told me that was my husband. And I was like, this white boy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this guy. I'm glad you didn't lead with that when you started talking to him, <laughs> like some people we know. And so um, I was just like, okay. And, of course, he ended up having the same name as my father. <laughs> my dad is also that. named Paul. We have Paul. two minutes left. <laughs> um, and well, so, look, more baggage. Yeah. Someone was so kind to drop it off at the studio. (laughs) Unfortunately, we were out of time today. (laughs) So, yeah, that was why I met Paul and everything from there. I mean, you've seen the rest of it. It's been a mix of (laughs) chaos, awful circumstances. This is part one of Darcy's story. Yeah. Day 2000, we'll get to the rest of it. Okay, so 2000 days we'll get in. But, um, yeah, and I guess, like, before we get finished up, um, I remember I was really scared one time because I had you, I had Paul, I had Bible study, and I was just like, God, like, 
I've never stayed sober before. Like, how do yeah. I know it's real this time? Because mm-hmm. I've tried so many times in the past and it never worked. And I was just like, I, I can't lose all this. You know, I can't. I'll be officially destroyed if I lose everything I've gained. Yeah. And I was like, so how do how do I know this is it? And God just kind of talked to me. I was actually driving to Paul's apartment while I was talking to God. And he was like, every time you came to me, it was in a spiritual high. Mm-hmm. You're motivated. You're passionate. You're feeling it. You're ready to tackle Goliath. But then God's highlighting how crap your life is. And he's like, don't worry, I got you here at the lowest. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he was like, you always came to me on such a spiritual high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when the lows hit, like you just crashed and fell away. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time you came to me in a low. You didn't feel like it. You didn't want to, but you decide for yourself yeah. to do it anyways. That's and it that's the difference is because the highs are going to come and they're going to be great. You're going to feel on top of the world. Mm-hmm. And when the lows come, because they do, you're going to know where to come back to. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's such an important thing to highlight is like it, just because you're saved now doesn't mean your life's going to be flowers, hunky dory. Everything's great. Blessings forever. Right. You know. Well, we're out of time, but I do want to say um, I'm proud of you. 1,000 whole days. That's like what? Three years? Three and a half something years? Four? We went over this. Yeah, I know. And Two I'm years, down. eight months, I'm an idiot. 28 days. <laughs> <laughs> you know this. Our, and our audience knows that. Um, Almost three years. November not, will be three. You're not going to lose us either, yep. by the way. We're, we're always here. So I'm, I'm very proud of you. I've never met the person you were, but... I had a buddy tell me this too. It's like, yeah, you know, what what you describe is not what I see and it's not mm-hmm. what's sitting across from me. So I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you. Do you think um, if we are, I have a time to read a post back from 2020 that I made on my goals for we that year? We have plenty of time to do whatever you want. Okay. Just read it. All right. You know, ums are like 1.1 of a second, right? <laughs> so All right. let's read it. Let's close this out with this. Okay. Did you find it, Darcy? Yeah, I did. So um, I wrote this in January 2020. I didn't get clean until December 2020. But January, like I said, I tried to get clean so many times before. So I wrote a post. And I said, I'm not one for New Year's resolutions, especially considering no one ever holds to them. Seeing as this is a new decade, I decided it's time. It's time to get healthy, and I don't mean dieting. I'm not talking about exercising. I want to get mentally healthy, get rid of depression, stop procrastinating, and set my priorities straight. This isn't something I'm planning on just getting right in immediately. My goal for 2020 is to get to 2021, look back, and see tremendous growth. This is my year. I'm going, I'm going to go... Wait, sorry. I'm going to have fun. I'll be taking a vacation... I'm going to straighten up, go to church on a regular basis, get my life together, love my family, find new friends, and do new things. Find my true self and what I really like to do. Working, Work hard and stop doing things that aren't me. I'm going to love myself this year, and by the end of it, I'm going to love the person I become. I'm going to be successful and be okay by myself, independent and strong, self-motivated. This is the year I'm going to look back and say, and that was when I truly changed. It's a lot to take on, but I'm ready, which is why I'm also posting it for all my friends and family to see. Looking forward to what this year holds for me. And now it is 2023, and you've accomplished all those things. Well, I actually did accomplish them in 2020. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so my post I wrote on my thousand day, um, I actually didn't even read that post whenever I posted this. So just kind of as a contrast to it. 
I posted, it's been a thousand days since I've gotten sober. This is the first time in my life I've decided for myself that I wanted better. I was tied up with so many drugs, heavy, heavy drinking, partying almost every night, not caring for myself or anyone else around me. I was the worst version of myself I could think to be. I don't think a lot of people realize how bad things were in this time. I was allowing myself to be abused and taken advantage of daily for the last 10 months before getting sober because of my desperation for drugs and alcohol. I woke up every single day just praying I could die. There were nights I just sat there and thought about how much I didn't want to live and hoped that night I had one too many drinks or a bad line just to take care of it for me. November 26, 2020 was the last day I had any part of this lifestyle. I dropped it all to pursue God one last time before ending things. Since then, I've rebuilt a relationship with my family, started my own family, started a Bible study, and have found some of the most genuine, down-to-earth people that I know I could never come across again in a thousand lifetimes because they are so rare and special. I still struggle daily because of my past, but as time goes further and further, it gets to be more like a bad dream rather than horrible memory. I couldn't have done this without the support system I've had and God's grace, love, and peace these last thousand days. And with that, we draw this episode to a close. Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you, Darcy, for being so vulnerable and open. And I can't believe you did it without tearing up. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we love you guys. We love, you know, thanks for watching. See you guys. Guys, you have a great week. See you next time. Bye.